Hey lovelies, before we get started, I have some pretty exciting news. The flutter dress, one of my most popular styles, is going to be available in black. This is a highly requested dress from a lot of lovelies and due to space and manpower limitations, the only way I can make it happen is to do a pre-order. So here's how this is going to work. Until Tuesday, April 6th at midnight Eastern, the black flutter dress is available for pre-order. The time window is so short because I need to put it into production really soon for it to arrive in time for Shavuos and summer weddings. You want to pre-order because I cannot bring in a lot of inventory to store on a long-term basis. So when this highly anticipated dress does come in, quantities will be limited. And I don't want a repeat of what just happened with the spring launch where so many lovelies wanted stuff and couldn't get it because it sold out so quickly. The pre-order never sells out. I'll make whatever gets ordered and ship it out immediately. I can handle large quantities for short periods of time. So if you're even considering trying the black flutter dress, please pre-order it. You'll still be able to return within 30 days of receiving it, and it's guaranteed to ship by May 3rd, just in time for Shavuos and summer weddings. You can get it at impactfashionnyc.com. It's right there on the front of the homepage. It's literally, go to impactfashionnyc.com. You'll see it immediately. There's also a direct link in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support. It allows me to keep making this podcast. And without further ado, enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a singer and performer about what it was like to come to the U.S. just five years ago. She shares how her career and the Brooklyn Choir came together, breaks down what makes a good singer, and gives some tips for improving your voice. Dubby Baum, and yes, I am pronouncing that correctly, is someone I've had the pleasure of getting to know a bit more recently. She's a superstar performer with a really pragmatic view of the world, someone who sees what the market is missing and fills it. It speaks to me. I always enjoy talking to good people with great ideas, and Dubby is no exception. I was always very like easygoing, happy-go-lucky kind of kid. Um, the youngest of 10, so kind of like did whatever I wanted, you know? Um, very sociable. I wasn't the loudest kid. I just liked having fun type of thing. Always singing since I could talk. Like that's the main thing that everyone describes is like, oh, she's always singing. I don't, like I was never the type of kid to wanna be, get into like these politics and like all these, stuff in school like I was always like the kind of um kid that just like wanted to be friends with everyone kind of like a happy place um so like I had all sorts of people in my life that I would be friends with since I'm little because I I just like I just like open fun happy surrounding basically that does not surprise me in the least bit. I'm curious if anyone else in your family was musical. I had no idea you came from such a big family. So yeah, um, I, it kind of came on me without even me wanting. Like my whole family is crazy musical, um, Kanina Hara. And 
my parents, both of them, they sing, act, dance. So like being the youngest of 10 with everyone with these talents, it just like, for me, it was like learning how to walk. You learn how to sing, you learn how to harmonize. <laughs> like It just wasn't, it was just part of- Yeah, like it's what? like when I was five, it was like my sisters were like, okay, now you gotta learn how to do high harmony and low harmony, like it's part of life. <laughs> <laughs> these are essential life skills that everybody yeah. must have. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. It is obvious to anyone listening that you are not from the good old US of A. So can you can, tell what was what was it like growing up in in England? When did you come here? How old were you when you came here? Okay, so I came quite recently. I lived in London my entire life until five years ago. Exactly. Almost. It's almost going to be my American anniversary. I call it May 4th. <laughs> is the day I moved to America five years ago. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I lived in London my whole life. We moved from a massive town, like with full of like from Jews. We moved to a outside um, Belchiva community when I was seven years old. Um, very countryside style, beautiful. Like you walk from my house five minutes, you would see horses and sheep like wow it's really beautiful it's like you don't feel like you're in london london because it's like it's called edgeware it's like the edge of london <laughs> um so that's why i lived since i was seven years old and i used to like travel to school every day for an hour because there was no schools in my there were no from jewish schools in my town um there was only like a mixed school with boys and girls and i grew up in a very um Hasidish from home so I traveled every day. I loved it because I, I, I miss my friends. I mean, I was seven when I moved and I, I kept up with my friends my whole life because I've traveled to school every day. Um, so that like that was basically my life in London. I love traveling, but I love London. I, I mean, I'm always going to be proud to be British. It's like the best part is you're in America and you walk anywhere, like in any store. And the person tells me, oh, your accent just sounds so polite. You can say anything to me and it will just sound polite. 100%. 100%. Yeah, everything just sounds better in an accent. It just does. Like, do you have another packet of cheese? <laughs> it's so sweet. Right. It's so sweet. You're like Shirley Temple asking me for cheese. See, this is... Yeah, no, it is. It's just, it's just, everything just sounds so much nicer. So what, um, what was it that made you move here? Were you already married at the time? So I was, I, I married an American. We started off in London. Um, and I kind of knew from when I met him that we're going to move to America because like he didn't have anything to do in London. Um, he had everyone here in America. He had his friends and, and also he knew that I'm musical and I wanted to build my career as a from female singer and there are way more opportunities here in America for that. Because in London, I, there wasn't a big community for that. So like I was excited to move because I knew for my music business, it will be it will be good for me. Because back in London, all my music gigs, I did a lot of them for free because the community went into um, music as much like paying singers and all that. Because it just wasn't part of their thing like were they, they not into paying singers or they were not into paying female singers um they never had a female singer there ever so it was kind of like an unheard of thing it wasn't because they didn't want to pay 
it was just kind of like they've never heard of it before. It was like saying you're a dog lawyer. People didn't know what to do with you. Yeah, yeah. They just had no clue. I had to like teach them about it. So I knew that in America there are from female singers and people will have heard of it and there would be a salary actually. So I was excited for that, like just to build up my career. I always wanted to be a singer and go for my dream. You know, that's what I always wanted. When you were when you were in London and, and, you know, trying to make it as a singer and, and it's, and it's not working. What were you like, did you have another job also? Were you, what were you doing to support yourself at the time? Were you, were you not like, how did that go? Okay. So of course um, I had a full-time job because I needed to earn money. And I was always very into like saving up money since I'm like, since I'm like 10 or 11 years old. I just remember always wanting to have this bank account with money and not touch it. Like that, <laughs> I was always the type that did babysitting jobs and like, um, I just always wanted to save money. That was just like my type. Um, and, and I did not come from a well-off family at all. Like my parents worked very hard and I didn't have everything that everyone else had. I mean, I had to work towards my music lessons. I didn't just get them naturally. Um, and I love that, you know, my, my parents taught me good life skills. Um, but not everything gets handed to you. You have to work for your money. So I had a full-time job. I was a teacher there. I had a, I got a diploma. I went to college for two years um, and I got my teaching diploma um, and I taught high school for three years in London. I loved it. Taught maths and biology. It was like my favorite thing. I worked from eight to clock in the morning till six at night. And then past six at night, I would be busy doing music stuff. Like events and teaching music lessons and I was like always busy never had a second to breathe that kind of life and then I came to America and like boom no one knew who I was I was bored they didn't have a job I was unemployed <laughs> it was like <laughs> so what did you do so the first thing I did was open up an Instagram account when I moved actually um yeah it was like I didn't know what to do like no one knew me here the America is so big it's like you walk here First of all, I moved to like Kensington, which is like in between Flatbush and Borough Park. You walk here on the street, there's so many people that even the people that are from here don't know each other. And I wasn't used to that. I came from a very small town where everyone knew each other. Um, you know, like um, you watch like the Gilmore Girls and like everyone knows each other in the town. Like, yes. Like in, in my town in London, like everyone just knew each other. You go to the grocery store, you know, every single person there. Right. <laughs> And then you come here and it's like, oh my God, this is New York City. <laughs> it's, it, this is the Big Apple, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was it's a, a lot of people. It was like a huge change. Like, where do I begin? And my sister in London told me like, you know, there's something called Instagram. You could open up a page, show everyone your stuff um, and maybe get to know people here. And that's what I did. I just opened up an Instagram page. I had no clue how to use it. I was very embarrassing, probably the first things that I posted. We all have bad first posts. Don't worry about it. I'm uh, tempted to delete them, but I also feel like I need to leave them there for posterity. Like there's a, there's a museum quality to it that that like my right. first post must be preserved. And they're not even my first, first post. Cause I had, I st impact fashion started as like my second page. And then, oh, yeah. so the first page it's called couture by Rifki and it's still up. If anybody wants to see it, it's <sighs> so terrible, but it's there. And I feel like, I, I feel like it just needs to live there. You know, it just needs to yeah. be there 
and I never anyway. actually switched my account. I still have the same account I started with. So I, oh, I should have, to- I should have, but I just wasn't thinking like I, cause oh, I, I had, yeah. Cause when I started, um, so I first started that first account, um, because I was doing alterations. So I would actually do this thing where I would play a game with people and I would show them a before. Cause I didn't do just like letting down hems. I did like building up dresses or I would do like major reconstructions of pieces. So I would post a picture, um, of an alteration that I had just done. And I would ask people in the comments to guess what the alteration had been you know what was the thing that we had done beforehand um and then I would give like like shop credits basically like you get 20 bucks off or something on your next thing (laughs) um and then when I started like I don't know why I don't know why I didn't just change the account name and like make that the impact fashion page I started a totally new page (laughs) like there's no reason why I should have done what I did but I just left and then I I stopped posting on that page and then I started posting the other page and then I ignored both of them for like three years. And then eventually I just like, I, I like committed to the impact fashion page and just went for it. But also like when you, st- I don't know why, like I had, I don't know, like 150, 200 followers on that account. I don't know why I didn't just rename it. Like I started impact fashion from literally zero <laughs> for no reason, for no good reason. And I was talking over with my cousin, like a couple of weeks later. And I was like, it's really hard to get, people on this account I should like I have so many people on this other account I don't know what to do and she was like she just renamed it I was like oh yeah maybe I should and then I still never did like it just never happened I just never did it so yes anyways everyone's beginning of Instagram is terrible yeah like I like renamed my Instagram account so many times since I started (laughs) I finally ended up with my name now it's just Dovey Bam so easy (laughs) yeah it's it's and it's and it is you you know it's it's simple to know in the beginning like I was like sing with Dubby and then I was like music Dubby and I was just like trying to- I remember me. music Dubby. Yeah, I was, music Dubby was the latest one and then I just did Dubby Bam. I'm like, hello, it's available. Yeah, Let just take, take it. it. It's my name. <laughs> yeah, I tried to take Rifki. I wanted to be just Rifki, but someone's sitting on the name. Like there's there's an account with like one photo from 2016 that has that and it's so annoying and I and I keep like trying to like message the account and being like I'll give you 50 bucks for it like (laughs) to just be like because I just want it yeah but no but no it's it's not there but either way so you get to New York you don't know anybody you're in big bad Brooklyn I just remembered something did I tell you that my mother's a big dressmaker yes we have yes you've spoken to me about this before I mean yeah my mother like her whole life is all about sewing and alterations and dressmaking and she does her own patterns and like I grew up with sewing machines around me and material all over the place and going to material stores and choosing my own clothing but I hate sewing like every bit of it it's not for everyone it's not (laughs) for everyone it's my mother's number one thing in life is sewing so yeah I didn't I didn't follow in a path in that way (laughs) yeah it's not it's really not for everyone I find that also with there's you need to be both like very detail oriented and also very big picture. You know, you need to be able to like construct something properly so that, you know, the zipper lays straight and also take a step back and go, should the zipper even be in that place? And to do both of those things is it's, it's a lot to hold. And it, and it is one of those things that just takes a really long time to get good at. It takes and I think a- you need a lot of patience as well. Yeah. You do need the patience and also you need to be willing to just make a lot of mistakes. My mom actually has a closet in her house filled with all of my early pieces and anything that I've made that has been terrible, like truly terrible. Oh, and that's she, so cute. 
it's I mean I keep being like mommy you can't hold on to these anymore and she's like are you kidding I'm never getting rid of these so like all of ev- just know I, everyone who is looking at my designs and seeing beautiful wonderful things just know that there is a closet filled filled with dozens of terrible pieces that I made terrible. Oh, I actually once made my own dolls clothes I was sick that's how I started I was sick and my mother said how about you make an outfit for your doll I was probably like eight or nine years old. So she handed me some spare material and I drew a picture of like a, a dress. Um, and like I did, a, I did it on two different pieces of material. I matched it up and then I sewed it. She watched me. She to- taught me how to like do the machine thingy and I sewed an outfit and I was That's like so, so cool. proud. But then when I actually learned sewing, we, we had it as a subject in school. Like we had sewing twice a week in high school and I guess maybe because my teacher wasn't right. I just like didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I find that a lot of like, it's it's tricky when, when it's like a school subject and you're getting graded on it. And there's like, right. I think like- It was like a midterm of sewing. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it zaps, it like zaps it of all of the, the fun. But enough about me, more about you. What, so you moved to New York, right? You moved to New York, you moved to Brooklyn. You don't know anybody. You start this Instagram account. What was your plan? Was your plan to be giving voice lessons? Was your plan to keep teaching? Was your plan to, you know, I know you have the Brooklyn girls choir. Like how did all of that happen? And, and what were you hoping would happen? So my plan was just to try and do anything that I can. Cause I needed money. I mean, I had to pay my rent. Um, we had to have food on the table <laughs> and I was like, I'll just do anything that I can. So I remember applying to lots of jobs and I had lots of interviews and I was almost going to be a high school teacher teaching maths in a school here in Brooklyn. And they interviewed me and I had really good reference letters from London because I think I was a pretty good teacher. I mean, I took my work seriously and they just didn't take me because they had American applications and they were like, we prefer to take the Americans that know our syllabus by heart and I was like what do you care if I'm a good teacher I'll adapt to your syllabus like I know it it's just maybe a different order different pages like big deal so it was very annoying for me it was a big letdown that so many schools rejected my application because I'm British and I was like okay you know what I'm just not gonna try going into teaching anymore let me try something else so then I applied to office jobs to be a secretary to do medical billing and people wanted me and I just like felt weird. Like it just wasn't me to sit by an office desk and pick up phone calls. It just, it wasn't what I wanted to do in life. So I started telling people that I'm giving voice lessons and piano lessons. I'm a qualified pianist. I went to a music school, ABRSM back in London um, and I'm a qualified pianist. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna advertise, I'm going to put an ad in the local newspaper here. It's called the Weekly Link and Tour Times. And I was like, I'm going to write that I'm from London. So people might think it's cool. Um, and I had years of experience. I did. And and like I just wrote, it said on the ad, like WBA, I'm from London, giving piano lessons and voice lessons. And I was trained and I was still going training. I found a teacher in America. I, I went through so many teachers here until I found the right one. Now I have my teacher. I love her. She's called Emily. Emily Yu, um, and she's awesome. But till I found her was a while, you know, I had to go hopping from teacher to teacher because as a singer, it's very important to continue your training. Um, just like any athlete, they have to keep up their training if they wanna be in the job. So I advertised, I remember in the local paper and guess what? I got phone calls and I was like, oh my God. 
And we compared the salary of the office job that I was going to take in medical billing compared to um, the lessons that I would teach in music. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to earn much more from music lessons. Like it's not even worth it for me to take an office job where I'll be busy and an office desk from like nine to five. And in much less hours, I can earn more being a music teacher in the comfort of my house. And at the time I was, I just became pregnant and I wasn't feeling so good. And I was like, this is perfect. I'm not feeling great. I was throwing up and I'm like, maybe this is a sign. I'm not going to take these office jobs. I'm just going to work at home. Um, and Baruch Hashem, like it, it, it worked out. Like it, it went word of mouth. Like I taught a let's say a girl from a certain school, like in Bar Park, and then she told her friend and her friend's mother called up and I suddenly had like a whole week full of students. I taught ladies during the day and I had every Sunday I taught girls and I was loving it. It was so much fun for me. Like um, I found it hilarious to teach voice training to Americans because the accent is so different. The vowels, like everything was like a brand new thing and it was fun. It was actually fun. Um, and someone asked me to sing a song for a camp two months after I, I moved. They wanted me to sing it in the American accent for the camp. So I asked someone to help me. Um, one of my students asked her how she pronounces stuff and I did it. And no one knew I'm British in that song. It's really funny. <laughs> That's awesome. So that was like basically the beginning. Like I would say this, I'm talking about now the first half a year living in America. That's until I, I found my place, until I found what I wanted to do. And I was pregnant and I wasn't feeling good. And, and I just figured that working in the house is, is probably meant for me. So that's what I did. And I gave birth to my first kid right before being the first year in America. That was like the like almost Pesach time, like the year later. That's when I had my first baby and the music lessons was a great thing because I was literally ill for nine months. Like I used to throw up, teach, throw up, teach. <laughs> That's so rough. It was very rough. And, and I had no one, I had no friends here. It was like, it was hard, but I was working. And that was the main thing. Cause when you keep yourself busy, it's just, you know, it's just like, that's the thing that you do. And slowly word of mouth, someone booked me for a birthday party for a Hanukkah party. Um, in camps like I had some gigs like to sing for the camp and it just like went word of mouth and then I started posting some videos on Instagram of myself singing so I didn't yet post of my concerts I was I don't know why I was shy so weird because now I'm like I only want to post of concerts and not just of random singing <laughs> so back then I just used to sit by my piano and my husband used to video me and obviously I made him do like 150 takes until you know the one I liked <laughs> mm -hmm. and I used to post it and I got clients from Instagram it was really funny and yeah things just went along from there like just snowballed the way over here well now I'm here for almost five years um and I really must say that my Instagram helped me with tons of clients it's actually amazing like I'm really grateful yeah for it it can really be a, a great source for that. And it sounds like you really found your people, which is awesome. How did the, um, how did the Brooklyn Girls Choir happen? Because I know that's something you're very involved with. Okay, so the Brooklyn Girls Choir was something I planned um, before I got married. 
I, I always dreamed of opening up a choir, but I knew that I want to open it in the place where I settle in when I get married because I knew I want to get married and settle in a certain place. I didn't know if it was going to be London. I thought it might be like, I don't know, maybe Europe, it might be Israel. It could be anywhere in the world. But I just knew that I, wherever I open it, I want it to be in the place where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be settled. Um, so I kind of like left it on the back burner. And I knew as a singer, what, what is like the most beautiful part of a singer is when you have the backup singers behind harmonizing, it just, it just like the whole singing experience just like goes on another level. Like the singer just sounds like even more well when they have a background choir. And in the firm female music world, back then there were hardly any firm female singers and the ones that there were sang themselves solo right they got on stage they sang in the mic and, and that was it they had their guitar and they had a backing track and there was no choirs backing them and the men do have choirs you go to weddings and you see five guys in a choir backing up the main singer and it always sounds so beautiful it's like wow I mean you go to a concert if you, if you would go to a Rachel Platten concert well now it's COVID but back when you could go to in the before times yeah like if you would go to a Rachel Platten concert, you would see she's performing and she has her three backup singers behind and it just makes her voice way better. So that's what I, my vision was. Let me open up a choir. Where can I have a backup choir for my singing or for other people singing? Um, sounds like a selfish reason, but. <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant. I think it's actually fantastic because you're right. There are, I, there's nobody else who sings um, in the front market with, with any kind of backup singers at all. And it's kind of genius. So I've seen backup dancers before, but not like backup singers. No. Yeah. It's just not a thing. And that, that is super awesome. So how did you, how did you find these girls? Were they just your voice lesson students? No. So actually I, I put an ad in the local newspaper in Flatbush and Bart Park. Um, And I put an ad additions the Brooklyn Girls Choir. And obviously on the ad, I always used Dubby Bam from London because for some reason, people in New York think it's cool, people from London. So you write from London, they think it's really cool. <laughs> so, it's true. We're, we're a sucker for the accent. We are. So, you know what? I used it to my advantage. I used the London cards. <laughs> Props. Yeah. And, and, and people came to audition. I had lots of girls. We scheduled, um, like additions. I did like 10 minute slots. They came to my house. I played on the piano. Um, I, I also put out on Instagram an ad that I'm looking for a secretary to help me. Um, and I had quite a few applications sending me their resumes and I picked one, one girl, like a working girl and she became my secretary and she helped me with additions and she videoed everyone. So like I picked the best singers. That's how it went. Um, and lucky me, I married a guy who is crazy musical and let me tell you, that wasn't on my list of things that I wanted in a guy. Like, it's a total bonus. Like, I wasn't specifically looking for someone who's into music. Really not. I'm more into character. You know, I want someone nice. Well, it is more important than whether or not they can sing. Yeah. So No, but sometimes um, people think like, oh, you're a singer, so your husband sings. And it's like not related. <laughs> yeah, that's, those, are, those are not, those, those two things have nothing to do with each other. Right happens to be I got lucky and his siblings do not sing and they're like really not a musical family I mean I'm not I'm not insulting anyone they know that (laughs) (laughs) 
but my husband is is a genius in music it's like amazing and he composes songs and he harmonizes and he got so excited with my idea of opening a choir that he actually helped me he helped me do the whole business plan and we went to a lawyer in Manhattan I felt so fancy we went to the Freedom Tower on like one of the top floors there <laughs> it was really cool and we signed a whole business thingy and we made it all legal and cool like the Brooklyn Girls Choir no one took our name yet it was very cool um and we just opened it my husband had all the songs ready composed and we were working towards releasing an album um and that was like yeah and we really worked hard it cost a lot of money it was like our blood and sweat and money our own into everything um so that was how the Brooklyn Girls Choir started. It was just a kind of dream I always had. And I, I was only able to make it happen when I was settled and I lived here and, you know, then I can start doing these things. And I right. had girls who were interested. Yeah, I want to I wanna pivot a little bit, ask you a little bit of a different question. I think that like oh. everyone has that person in their life that they're like, oh, she can sing. Like, she's just so super talented. She's got a voice like that. Like I, there was like this one kid in my elementary school. Her name was Shifra. Like Shifra did the singing. That was Shifra's job. This was what Shifra was meant to do in life. And she came from a very musical family and she was talented. You know, I mean, I don't remember. I remember liking it as a child. I have no idea if she's any good actually it's been a while since I've heard Schiffer sing but either way there's like a, a lot of times people who are have singing talent they are they like it's like there are people who can sing and people who can't sing do you think that anyone can be taught do you think that anyone can become I'm not talking about like becoming you know a world-class opera singer but do you think that you do, where do you think the line between raw talent and trainable skill is okay so I believe that most people can be taught how to sing. So meaning if someone wants to go voice lessons, if they could basically carry a tune, meaning the voice doesn't have to sound pretty. It can be a hoarse voice or it could be a rough voice or it could be a deep voice or it could be a tiny voice, quiet. But if they can basically, you know, hear a tune, even if they sing a little off, they can be trained to sing. But if someone, I've had students, I always tell them come for a consultation lesson and I'll see if you're trainable because I do believe you can train most people. So I've had sometimes a student that came and they sang off tune and I was trying to make them match certain keys and I was like, okay, this is low, that is high, this is low. And they didn't get the concept of low, high. And it took me like a whole hour and I didn't get a single note out of them that even was close to the notes I was trying to make them sing. And I told their mother, like, I'm really sorry, but she's not gonna enjoy being trained because she doesn't have any connection to it. There isn't even like a possibility in her voice to match a certain note. Like her voice is like such a small um, range. It's so narrow, her range. It's like she can just say three notes out of her mouth. like. Like the 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 like that's all she can do. That is not even three notes. That's the same note. But um, there are very few people that I don't think they're trainable just because they don't have the sense of hit, like their ear. They can't actually hear the note. Um, but I think the rest of people, most people, can learn how to sing. 
you basically know how to carry a tune or you, you, you can hear the note if it's high, if it's low, then you're trainable. I've trained people that sang off tune and they sing perfectly on tune now because they, they knew how to listen out for what they wanted. So I think most people can. Okay. Do you think that, is there such a thing as being like, have you ever encountered a student that was too talented for their own good? I think there's, there's never some, someone who's too talented, just my own perspective. I feel like every singer can always improve. I don't feel like I'm ever gonna stop going lessons. I feel like I can always go voice lessons my whole career because you can always become better. Like, I don't think there's a finish line that says, you've done it, you're the singer of the year. No, I think there's always room for improvement. And I think that is with everything in life, really. You can always be better. I don't think there's a finish line. Yeah, it's it's true. It's one of those things where it's like, also it's, it's hard because singing, especially it's very ephemeral, you know, it's very, obviously there are times when you can hear something and just know that it's terrible. Um, and there are times when you can hear something and know when it's fantastic, but to a regular person, the in-between part can kind of get muddled and sound all around the same. So it, you know, being able to pin down what is and isn't, you know, good singing or, you know, hearing what does make good singing, what makes something, you know, more fantastic than anything else. Okay, so being that I'm a voice coach and that I've been in training for so long, my ear is more attuned. So I can hear little nuances that most people don't hear. Like I can hear if there are certain points where this person is like singing way too heavily or strong or this person is way too quiet and she got to bring out her voice. Or when a person is doing way too many techniques, like it's overly used, like too much sugar, you know, that type of thing. Like it can't be too much techniques. You got to know how to balance it. Um, so sometimes it's like, maybe the audience won't hear the difference, but I think I can definitely hear a difference between every person's voice. I've never heard two people's voices that sound the same. Never. Every person sounds completely different to my ears. That's probably because I'm, I can just, I'm listening out for the techniques and back to the question, what you said, what makes someone a good singer? So there's really main components to being a good singer is one to carry a tune. That's like really important, right? To carry a tune. And then you have um, being able to project your voice so that it should come out. So if you're just gonna sing in this quiet little voice the whole time and you have no idea how to project it, then you can't be a singer. You have to know how to actually bring it out and use your air and your lungs and bring out the, the, the voice. Um, and I would say another thing of being a good singer is being disciplined, knowing how to apply rules to your voice so yes you can be a natural singer with raw talent but then you're not disciplined you have to know how to when you're squeezing too much when you're using your throat too much and you can get hoarse you have to know as i said before if you're using too many techniques if you're going to be vibratoing away the entire time it's not going to be pretty um you kind of have to have good discipline and, and you have to let yourself make mistakes. You have to let yourself say like, okay, I'm human. I made a mistake, I can fix it. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's, I think good discipline, good use of air from the lungs and good singing on tune, like on pitch are three main components, I would say. That's very cool. Is there something, is there like a, a tip that you could give everyone who's listening here to improve their own singing? Like something, sure. something like 
could just make make you sound better? Um, make you sound better. Okay, so I'll give like an easy tip, which is like most people always think like it will help. You know, like when you're trying to reach a very low note, you would see most people like bending their chin down and like trying to reach the note and they're bending their chin down. And it's a myth because it's not gonna help you reach that low note if you bend your chin down, because if you would place your hand in front of your neck and you would try to bend your chin down, you would feel suffocated, like you're choking yourself. So your voice box is right there. So guess what? It's feeling suffocated. So if you're gonna put your chin down for low notes, you're gonna suffocate your voice and you're gonna cause so much tension there that your low note won't come out. Your low note will come out if you keep your chin nice and straight and calm, it will come out way better. And the opposite way is if you're singing a really high note and you're gonna see so many people doing this and they're singing like this really high note and they're picking up their chin and they're like singing to the sky, right? <laughs> they're yeah. like um, literally like as if they're trying to, I don't know, trying to drink something pouring down from the roof. Um, and they're picking up that chin. And if you would place your hand in the back of your neck and pick up your chin, you would feel that your hand is getting squished in the back and it's not comfortable. So your vocal cords are in the middle of your throat and it's feeling tense when you pick up your chin, your vocal cords are feeling tense and squished. So the best position for your chin is just to be regular and straight because your voice box is in your throat and it needs to have no pressure. It just has to be relaxed. If you're going to keep your chin straight for a high note, you're going to reach it. No problem. It's that um, subconscious that tells you to pick up your chin to reach a higher note, which is a myth. It doesn't help. So one tip for everyone is to try and keep your chin forward and straight. Try and have your neck in line with your spine and not have it bent forward or bent back. If it's in line with your spine, everything is nice and straight and the airflow of your um, your voice box and your trachea and from your lungs, it's just so easy to come out and to go in, it's straight. If you're bending it, it's much harder for it to escape or to come in. So that is like um, a little bit of science there to it as well. Um, by the way, I'm in pre-med, so I'm a little bit scientific <laughs> as well. <laughs> Yeah, that that was awesome. That makes that also makes a lot of sense just based on where things are are located and yeah. and all of that. That is like the first thing that always like kind of what I call it. Like it kind of always made me a little bit nervous when I when I saw singers like picking up their chin to high heavens or putting their chin down. I'm like, why are you doing that? It's not gonna help. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't it that doesn't like make any difference. And if anything, it's hurting you. Wow. I never even thought about that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, also, sure. I'm dying to know what your go-to karaoke song is. My go-to karaoke song. So the truth is I never have time to do karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> I would I love, believe you. I would love to. Like if someone would tell me, Dubby, we're going to karaoke night and you're just having an hour to have fun and put on backing tracks, it would be so much fun. Because usually- me, baby. Yeah, because usually I'm singing karaoke to people that want like certain songs that they want to hear. <laughs> right, exactly. Like usually you're like the dancing monkey taking requests. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. karaoke is like literally my stress relief. If I'm having like a really, like if I'm, if I'm stressed or I'm working on something, I'll take my computer and I'll put it on a like 
high enough so that I can be standing. Um, there's like a shelf in my living room that's like the perfect height that I could stand in front of it. And I'll just put on some karaoke track and I'll just go right. for it. And yeah. But I would say my favorite karaoke go-to tunes would be probably old ones from my childhood because it's just so much fun to sing it. Like, like really nerdy old tunes, like take like High School Musical. Like, oh, classic. It's just so much fun to sing it because it's so old and so nerdy and it's just like such good memories. Actually, it's not nerdy. I think they're great. They're fantastic. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's our childhood right there. High School Musical is where it's at. Yeah, it's like-, like if I would just, yeah, I think that would be because it just makes you be in a fun, light mood and like it's just nostalgia, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're also easy <laughs> songs to sing, which is fun too. They're like, they're like basic Disney stuff, which is fantastic. This has been so much fun. Can you believe the time has totally flown already? Um, if yeah. somebody wants to learn more about UW, where can they go? Sure. So the easiest way is Instagram. I'm just at WBAM, which is D-O-B-B-Y. It's not D-U. D-O-B-B-Y-B-A-U-M. Um, and you can DM. I usually check all my messages. And if you don't have Instagram, you can always email me, which is info at wbam.com. So wbam is spelled the same way. It's D-O-B-B-Y-B-A-U-M. Um, so yeah, email or Instagram. That is, yeah. And it's, and it's a fun follow, by the way, you have a really, really great page and, and you're putting out, you know, like uh, covers here and there, or just collaborations with people. And it's, and it's, it's really awesome. It's, it's a fun yeah, page. It's like entertainment. You know? It's yeah. That's it's, it's like you're an entertainer or something. Um, <laughs> The last question I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Debbie Baum, what does it mean to make an impact? What does it mean to make an impact? I think um, to me, when people make an impact on me, it's usually when they have their pest, like a certain personality trait that is just so kind and loving and accepting. It makes an impact on me like, wow, they are nice people and not for a price, not for something in return they're doing it to be genuinely nice and kind with no motive. And that's what makes an impact on me because I've, I've worked with so many people and I've spoken with so many people and the people that have a big impact on me are the ones that are genuinely just want to be nice to people and just want to accept everyone and not be negative. Just have that positive, fun, chilled vibe. Like those people make an impact because they don't expect anything in return. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Debbie. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rifki. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Debbie, her links are in the show notes. If you're listening to this before midnight Eastern on Tuesday, April 6th, there is still time to pre-order your black flutter dress. Pre-ordering guarantees you'll get your hands on one of my most requested dresses ever. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. If you'd like to apply to advertise on the Be Impactful podcast, please send me an email at rifke at impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifke Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.